We're here at another Green Room podcast, I guess. That was a good, you know, little five, four, three, two, one, I guess. Anyways, uh, we're going to get started. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to recap where we've, where we've been and where we're going. So I'm pretty excited about this. Um, we're just kind of finishing up our Digital Age series. And Tim, you just preached this last week on finding Jesus in the Digital Age. I did, but I think the first thing that people want to know is what's going on with your arm? Because last week you were in a sling. Yeah. I never really had a chance to talk about that. Yeah, I, I guess I could be in it right now. You um, probably should be I in should it be in it right now. Um, if, but if his doctor, if if his doctor is watching right it's, now. I, I'm, pract- I'm doing my physical therapy moves we, while we, we record. Tried, so You know. Um, but yeah, I had my bicep detached um, in my shoulder or moved so that they could get rid of a cyst on my nerve and then reattached in a different place. So that's that's kind of what I had. Now, happen. was it true that you, the issue was your your bicep was just too big? Yeah, it was a muscle reduction uh, surgery. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes that that, that yeah. has to happen when you're too strong. Uh, no, but I just had to give it an assist in there. I have a tear as well, but um, the surgeon decided not to repair it. So there you go. If if your shoulder is hurting you, you may either have a assist on your nerve impingement. If you have some numbness and some weakness in there and a lot of popping, or you might just have a tear. So there's a little, you know, practical tip for the day. And apparently if you don't, if you don't take care of it, your bicep could drop. Yeah. So the the danger right now, um, I'm good to be out of the sling as much as I want, um, but it kind of keeps me from overusing my arm. Yeah. Um, But if I use it too much, uh, the bicep will detach and I'll, I'll look like Popeye the Sailor Man in my left arm. Which, you know, yeah. could there be a look. There might be advantages yeah. to that. Anyway, sure. a brief <laughs> digression. But, the, you know, people want to know. People yeah, want to sure. know these things, Gabe. Sure. I mean, the, the public wants to know. They need to know. Arm. Yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> on that note, let's talk. I don't know why on that note, but there's no, no way to segue note. from that. A no. different note. Um, Jesus in the digital age. Finding Jesus in the digital age. Now is an awesome sermon. Um, I heard someone even say the best sermon. Uh, somebody knows you pretty well. Wife. Your wife. Um, so she she has she a pretty good... That. Yeah. So it's really good stuff. Um, you talked about John 15. Mm-hmm. Very famous passage. If you're not familiar, it's it's where Jesus says, I am the vine, mm-hmm. you are the branches. Uh, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And you said um, that it's a great metaphor and probably the metaphor that we could relate to the most because we don't live in a culture with a lot of you know pruning and taking care of our own landscaping um, is a wireless network. And I really like that analogy. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yes. And I think that the whole idea behind it is um, we are built for connection. And um, I know Dr. Henry Cloud actually talked about this. So later on, we're going to segue into the Global Leadership Summit because he's going to be there. And it's really cool. a cool extension of that. Um, but he talked about this too, that you know when you get off the airplane or when, you, when the airplane lands, you're still on the tarmac. The first thing that you do when you turn on your phone is it says it's searching for connection. And he says, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. We're kind of built that way. And it really made me think about that too, because we, we are trying to connect and we're trying to dial into a network that's going to tell us what is true. Mm. Yep. Tell us what is true about life, what is true about us, how we should think, how we should feel about things. And so the obvious thing is if we're constantly getting, and then the amazing thing to me about this too, is you can have a phone that will refresh itself, that will update itself basically, that your phone gets better 
in terms of its software as as it progresses. And then, of course, you know how it is. You you only to a certain point, and then your phone can't handle the software updates, and then you got to get sure. a new phone. But until then, the whole idea is that it's supposed to get better because it's continually getting new information. And so when Jesus says, remain in me, kind of like a, a, a branch remains to the vine, the only way that that branch can stay alive is if, is if it's connected. If it's not connected, it's going to die. And when we talked about um, the only use for these things is to be uh, taken and thrown into the fire and burned, the whole idea is that it's a usefulness issue. I can't do anything with right. a branch that's disconnected from the vine. And I thought about that. I'm like, man, that is so huge because we walk around thinking, you know, what am I good for? And I can't do this. And I failed at that. And, you know, I, we see ourselves as these closed systems, I think. And it just dawns on me. We have this supernatural power of God that Jesus actually leaves us with this idea that you can be connected all the time where your, your in essence, is your, your software, your, um, your version keeps getting upgraded higher and higher and higher. And really, when we get to heaven, that goes on forever. Like that right. never stops. And um, because we're, we will be connected forever. You'll be in the cloud then. You be, <laughs> hey, that's pretty funny. He's, he, see, he's got a messed up yeah. arm and yeah. it just makes you think better. I think. Yeah. But, but truthfully too, um, the other part of this is it was Memorial Day weekend and, um, you know, I'm not saying anything, but a lot of you were just not there. Right. You're probably out Lake Pleasant because I was on the freeway going up to Prescott after church and Lake Pleasant was completely booked. Like you couldn't even go there. It's like it's to capacity. So you guys are probably floating around in the lake. A lot of you missed coming to Compass. So it's important that we, re- we review sure. at least this stuff. Yeah. I love the analogy. I mean, it's, it's something that's unseen. It's something that we all experience, even though you can't see it. Right. You know, with the wire. So there's a lot of good things there. I love that you, you even kind of dove a little bit into the, uh, the, the biblical analogy of the vine, you know, um, when the, when the branch is taken off, it can't produce anything. No, but see you, we're trying to connect with something. That's the point. So we're getting our information from somewhere. And so then that leads us into the other part of, well, then who are you really connected to? Who is telling you, what is true? Because I think sometimes we think, well, you know, I mean, remaining in the vine means I spend a few minutes with, with God every day. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I want to spend a few minutes with God every day, but I can't do that and then live the rest of my day following other people's rules and ideas about the way the world works. Right. Right. And you described, maybe you can you can unpack some more for us because, you know, you, you had pointed out that a lot of places... You, you preach a sermon like this, you go, you got to remain. That's really what's important. But the, the question then is how? How does someone stay connected to God's network in your comparison there? How does somebody stay, remain or abide? That's the other word that we hear a lot in the Christian realm. How do they abide in Christ? Yeah, because I'm always trying to ask that. I'm trying to answer that question. You try to answer that. When we preach a sermon, when we try to communicate information, it's not just, you know, well, here's what you have to do. No, you got to tell me how, like, what does that look like in real life? I mean, what, like on a Tuesday or a Thursday or, you know, like when I'm in, when I'm in, in trouble, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, what does it mean? And I think that, you know, so what a lot of times people want to do is program that, you know, we're going to give you a discipleship program and we're going to tell you, well, the way to remain is you got to read your Bible this amount of time right. a day and you got to go to your, your connection group and you got to do this and you got to serve. And it, all those things are great. But then there's this false idea that if I do these things that, you know, that I'm just doing these things that somehow 
I'm going to just automatically remain. And so as I was trying to ponder, because I almost went that direction, like, well, here's a bunch of things you can do to make sure you remain. I'm like, no, no, no. He tells us right in the passage. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain. Right. And so to me, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, then we have to ask ourselves, what are his commands? Well, for starters, Sermon on the Mount. So like, could it actually, see, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to go to this group and I'm going to, you know, go help the homeless or whatever you think you want to do that expresses your Christianity. But if I spend all of that time in a low grade state of worry, I'm not keeping his commands. Because when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, it says, do not worry about your life. Like that's a command of Jesus. So if I'm not keeping that, I don't have the ability to remain, meaning I'm blocking the system update. I'm blocking the nutrients from the plant. And then what's going to happen? There's not going to be any fruit. There's not going to be any result. And you see this kind of thing in in Christianity all the time. People who've gone to church for years and years and years, and you're going, I don't understand. Why is this person, you know, they've got the proverbial fish on the on the back of the car. They've got their, their preset to Caleb and on their radio. They've got everything. They wear the shirt. Everything looks so good. And they're faithful as the day is long. But like, there's just something missing there. And what's missing is that simple idea of something as simple as do not worry. Right. Something as simple as love your enemies. So can, so here's the question. And this is the part. And again, this is a lot of Dallas Willard stuff. Sure. And um, the late Dallas Willard, who, who's a genius and amazing at, at all this stuff. And one of the things he said was you should read Colossians chapter three every single day of your life. You know, That's it's kind of like Martin Luther said, you should read, you know, a chapter of Romans every day of your life. But, but he said Colossians three, cause it talks about really what it looks like to remain. But the, the whole idea of, do I actually believe? So G, and people say, well, I love Jesus. He's a great man and everything else, whether they even subscribe to Christianity right. or not, you, know, you can love Jesus and hate the church. But Jesus said, love your enemies. But here's the problem. Do you actually believe that if you actually love your enemy, that you will bear fruit in your life? I guarantee right. you, like a huge section of Christianity does not even believe that. It's it sounds nice, and they'd probably say, "I do." No, 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 no. Yeah, but yeah, but, but do you actually love your enemy? Yeah, will you actually do that? Like identify an enemy and then love that enemy. It's and e- it doesn't mean like loving Osama bin Laden, which is kind of fruitless because he's dead anyway, or loving some enemy of. It means like and you can't actually act on that. You can't. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could try, but that'd be weird. Um. But to actually love a person in your life who has caused you great harm. That's crazy. Like Jesus says, if you have a problem with somebody, don't even go, don't even go to church. Go, go leave your gift. Don't take your gift to the altar. Go be reconciled with that person right. first. So it's stuff like that. So you start, you start saying like, and then we, and then again, I, I applied a lot to sexuality because that's where so much of this series went. Right. Because I think people, what we see right now is people say, sex is God. So my sexual desires deserve to be fulfilled, whatever they might be. So, you know, whether I'm a heterosexual or a homosexual, whether I'm married or not, if I have sexual drive, those drives deserve to be acted upon. And so what you're in a sense doing is saying, those desires reign. They are the ones that call the shots. And then we're saying, wait a second. No, no, no. When Jesus says remain and remaining means keep my commandments, that means we take what he says about sexuality and we put our own desires underneath that. Right. And so if there's something that he teaches us, for example, about lust, 
you know, and we like, you know, you had a great definition for lust. What did you say it was? It's when you see uh, people no longer as people, but as objects. Right. It's something to be used in order for you to gain something. Right. So if I can say, well, you know, I can look at the menu, but I just can't order. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, and you, you can reserve the right to do that, but know that when you're doing that, you're, you're, you're not doing what Jesus commands. So I, so it's not, right. I mean like I can't go through my life and not ever, ever, ever lust again, but I can fight it. Yeah. You know, I can go, I probably shouldn't look that direction right now. And the whole thing is, but I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out on this experience or this opportunity, but that's the whole faith part. The remaining right. part is, but if I, if I, if I, if I leave this, if I actually do what Jesus tells me to do, will my life become better? Yeah. Is God's way really better? Sure, I believe in Jesus, but do I believe what he said You're right, right, to be exactly. true? And I, I really love that. You you also kind of made sure that you balance that with the idea of work salvation and things like that. Like we, we obviously, we follow his commands as a result of not in order to obtain. Exactly. I think right. this is, again, the problem. We have this dichotomous, you know, two-sided kind of thing. Well, either we believe that you're saved by grace or you work your way to heaven. And of course we believe we're saved by grace. But then the people that, that argue against that say, well, so you can just say that, you know, when you're five years old, you raised your hand yeah. and you said, I, I want to believe in Jesus because if I do, I get a donut, which is really how it works a lot of times, right. right? Hey, if you want to get a donut, you got to raise your hand and say, I love <laughs> Jesus, right? Or when you're in high school, um, if you want to get, and I've been to church camps all my life, if you want to get the attention you know, you raise your hand and say you made this big, real big rededication. Yeah. And I'm no longer going to, you know, I'm not going to get drunk anymore. And I'm no longer, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then everybody goes, oh, wow, you know, Jimmy changed. And then two months later, he's doing the same thing again. So it's not just about raising your hand and making a verbal declaration. It's like, it comes to a moment of surrender in your life. And we're always surrendering in one right. case or another, but it's, it's this kind of thing that's really supposed to kind of stab you in the gut. It's a submission of your will to God. This, this, so this is really good because, um, one thing that you, you drew upon is you said you should really count up the cost of that. Mm -hmm. Your faith should be more than just like little beliefies that make you feel good inside. Like, Oh, I think these things, but it should be something more like conviction that actually acts its way out and, and lives. And you, you had brought up this analogy of when you signed up for the military, Mm -hmm. they made you, uh, take a, take a vow, basically surrendering your life to a right. cause. Yeah. So there, you take an oath, obviously, and, and it's basically your verbal intention, which you, of course, sign. I mean, you're kind of held to that, that, and you'll be held accountable to it, that, that you are going to do everything in your power and you're a full sound, sound mind to, to say, and I have no, I have no, there's no purpose of evasion here. I have all my faculties on, you know, I didn't get wasted and then they brought me in. No, I know what I'm doing here. And I am saying that I will do everything in my power to defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And and it goes, and it continues on, but that that's a very serious kind of thing. And it does require a person to go, I got to really think about this. And I remember when we were at, um, when I was at my, um, my basic training, my officer school a couple of years ago, they had a ceremony where, you know, they, they got, you know, like zero dark 30 way early in the morning. It's dark outside and freezing cold out there. And they've got us all in this area. You had to like step over this line. And it's like this big thing, you know, where, where, you know, are you ready to do this? And I was almost going to use that illustration, but I kind of like the oath better because of the yeah. verbiage in there. But there's this kind of thing, like they almost said, you know, 
when you do this, there's no going back. Right. So here's you, here's the line, and here's the you after you decide. And when you step across this line, you're 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 in a sense surrendering yourself. And I I just I think that I wish that we had more of that concept in Christianity where we didn't just say, hey, listen, all you got to do is just raise your hand. Because it's true. All you have to do is realize you're a sinner. You don't have to. And this is the problem with with um, like other of, of our friends and, and other faiths that are kind of similar to Christianity, like sure. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, is, is there's a lot of good ethical stuff going on there. But there is this like, well, unless I do these things, right. I'm not going to go to heaven. What you're saying and what you kind of allude to is, no, because grace is given right. to you. And so really for the believer, it should be something where you go, no, I, when I really see what's been done for me, the decision should be very easy. Right. Like, holy cow, I get eternity. I get my sins forgiven. I get, I get reborn. I get this constant connection to, right. to the God of the universe. Why would I not do that? But if you don't tell people, okay, but part of what that means is, you know, all these things that had been driving you, like your quest for power, your quest for sexual, right. you know, fulfillment, um, your quest for money, all those things now have to, they're not, you don't get rid of all those things, but you place them under subjection to the one who did redeem and rescue you because his way is the only way. And the Bible is full of verbiage in that way. The mm -hmm. picking up your cross daily, right. the, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like finding a treasure buried in a field. It's worth selling everything you have in order to buy the field because in that field is so much more. Right. The, the, all these, huge, these huge, huge concepts of when you surrender your life to God, when you give up everything, you gain more than everything you, you had the capacity to attain. Exactly. And the only way to do that is through faith. Like the right. only, like the, like the only, the, you, the, and at the end of the day, the essence is faith. Like, do I really believe if I give this up and meaning give it up, meaning like my, my control over my own destiny, so to speak, sure. or, or my ideas of what's right and wrong, my ideas of what I should be. When I really, when I really say, you know what, even if it breaks my heart and, and, and is, is the result of my undoing, so to speak, right. I still will follow no matter what. And, you know, there's this beautiful story in, in John where, where, you know, um, Jesus says, basically, I am the bread of life. And this is really kind of, I didn't get a chance to include this, but this is really, really huge because he's got all these, um, he's like a Kardashian at this point. Like he's popular because he's popular. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like people don't really know why they're following. They're, I mean, they, he's healing people, but he's like, the momentum is building where right. he's just like, you know, he can tweet something and people will go out and do it because he's just like, he's amazing. And so he realizes that he's going to have to start. I just... You know, the fact that you just compared Jesus to Kardashian is amazing to me. That's, that's but awesome. But he's got that kind yeah, of, I get he's it. famous because he's famous. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, and he realizes this. And so he starts, he just starts throwing stuff out there. Like, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat my bread, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And people are like, what? Because right. he just got done feeding the 5,000. So he gives them bread. So they're like, oh, this is great. I get all this free bread from Jesus. And he goes, by the way, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, like we have no deal here. Right. And people are going, I don't get this. And this is beautiful picture where it says many disciples deserted Jesus. And finally he turns to like Peter, James and John and those guys. And he says, what about you guys? And they go, Lord, we left everything to follow you. Right. Like what, what, what we have, we are so invested that we have nothing to go back to. 
I'm like, and I, and again, I wish that I had an hour and a half to preach that sermon because I would have included that part. That's just another layer of this whole right. thing. You know, it's like, God, and you, it's a wonderful place. To, and I, I think I've been at that place at certain times in my life. And, and I think you have as well, where you're like, well, you know what? Um, God is asking you to go here. And if you don't, what are you going to go back to? And it's like, it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, God, I, I left everything to follow It's you. the highest calling anybody can be called to. I remember the story of, uh, of uh, Billy Graham and that some people asked him to run for president. Probably wish he was doing that this year. Um, but he, uh, he basically turned to them and he didn't mean this in any like condescending way, but he says, I, I, I have a higher calling. Right. And I don't think he necessarily meant just his ministry and mm -hmm. just this, but that the gospel requires everything and nothing at the same time. It's that two-sided coin, you know, grace is free and all this. But there's that, that line in a very old hymn, you know, uh, love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Yeah. And it's not in order to attain it. It's, it's, it's in order to receive it. Right. It's, and, and, that's, and that's why I think this whole debate about, you know, do I believe that I'm saved by grace or saved by works? Of course you're saved by grace. You're not saved by the, the you can't do enough. about that. But but it it the problem with it is it tries to make it's like a it's like poor man's theology. It doesn't bother you to, to, for you to stop and say wait a second. But let me give you a complete picture of the Christian life. You know, it's not a complete. And that's why I think what happens when people raise their hand when they're 5 years old and then they like invariably they say, "Well, I fell away." Really? Like you fell away when you were five? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and It got uh, real bad. I was all hopped up on the Nestle Quick and <laughs> right. crashed my big wheel. You know, it was yeah, hit, hit rock said, bottom. I just said, God, where are you? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just done with you. And, and that's a, so that's what people do. And then it's like, no, no, no. You, 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 and it's nothing wrong with getting little kids to say, I love Jesus. Okay. And at that level, they do. Yeah. But, but there's, it's a whole other thing. But it's keeping that, that. I, I love Jesus more than anything. And I think it's easy yes. for it. Uh, it's easy for a child because they're not so bogged down with all the weight of, of what life is awesome. Right. I, I, I talked to my five-year-old. She said, oh, I love Jesus and he's the most important. I love him more than anything. Mm -hmm. And that's such a basic concept. I mean, if we could just live in that state, but as our life demands more of us, we, we give more of ourselves to these things and less of ourselves to Jesus. And I think that then that's why it's so important even to go off the subject a little bit. We talk about, you know, well, even this idea of an age of accountability. Truthfully, there really is no age of accountability mentioned in the scripture. There's yeah. like that term doesn't exist. Um, and it's a whole opens up a whole other can of worms. But I think that that, yes, I believe that that, you know, God, that Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And there, there is like this innocence that we see there. But I think what's also very sobering is it's incumbent upon us as parents. And this goes back to the effective parenting thing to continue to teach our children at every level. Because just because your five-year-old here, love God here, love God here, love God here, because your five-year-old hasn't yet been presented with a depth of experience that, that caused her to go, do I choose Jesus or do I choose this? And so now like at our kids, you know, like I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old and nine-year-old, right. they're all at different levels of going, okay, now this window of life has opened up to me that was kind of dormant before. Now that I know this, now that I see this, now that I have this opportunity, now that I'm I've grown, is is Jesus still number one? And I man, that's just so huge. And so when you just simply say, well, all you have to do is basically, you know, raise your hand and, and swear an oath 
but you know, there's no real accountability. Like I, I want to accept Jesus right. into my heart, but there's no real understanding of what that means. Then of course they're going to fall. And I think for me, like, here's the thing. I don't, I, I grew up in church and I probably said, I probably said, you know, I accept Jesus into my heart like 85 times from the time I was born until, you know, I was like 10. And then I'm like, I don't know. I don't consider the fact of myself really becoming a Christian until I was like maybe 14 or 15. And I remember, and it wasn't because I want to accept Jesus. It was a very personal moment of my life. And I remember where I was. I just remember exactly. I think it was like in 1989 or something like that. And I remember going, okay, I've been living like Jesus doesn't exist or have any power. Right. I'm done doing that. And I consider that was the point that I became a Christian. Yeah, I had the same when I was about 13. I remember it was after a Wednesday night student ministries mm-hmm. youth thing. And I remember lying in my bed and just looking at my ceiling going, you know, if if this thing is real, that means something. Right. That was the the verbiage in my head that just, and I just kind of remember, I can't tell you what date or what anything, but I just remember that moment of that. But at the same time, I think there is something to that, that childlike faith. I think that's yes. why, because when you're a kid and you tell a kid about God and about Jesus, it makes sense. He's bigger than everything. Right. It's just that our eyes get smaller as we get old. We kind of sh- shrink in our imagination mm-hmm. and we, we, our capacity for wonder gets kind of like, it, it gets harder to fulfill. Exactly. And that's what starts to compete with that, so so our faith starts to diminish because we become less faith oriented. When you're a kid, everything is an act of faith. Yeah, because you can't you can't, you can't work, you can't do anything. Yeah. Something you're dependent. So you're dependent on everything, yeah. and that's what I think Jesus was pointing to. You know, be completely dependent on me. Mm-hmm. Believe like, that like I'm a child. like a child, like like that. I have I have everything. I'm the bread of life. I have what what it takes to sustain you. Right. And there's, so there's nothing wrong with having kids do that. Yeah. It's just that there's got to be this As, idea. Right. And I know for like one of the things I've tried to, to, and Jude and I have tried to do is like when we pray for our kids, you know, like I got one, one daughter who's a gymnastics camp right now. When I pray for her, I got to pray over her and I, I say, um, God, please may, may, uh, may Madison love you right. more than she loves gymnastics. Right. You know, for my other daughter. Um, who, who's like playing piano and singing and like loves, you know, being up in front of people. God, may Cambria love you more than right. she loves piano, more than she loves singing, more than she loves the, the, all the artistry of that kind of thing. That's the, that's the key issue with everything in life. So, so with the kids, it's like, because they're going to get enamored with all this stuff. And then that's when, you know, going back around to that sexual thing again. That's the thing. That's the linchpin for most people. Most people, when they get to be like that 12, 13, 14, all those things kick in, all of a sudden they make the decision to say, the most important thing in my life is the pursuit of sex and all that that is. Not just the act, right. but the way I carry myself, the way I approach relationships. Sexuality sex, as a whole. The whole yeah. thing. And they declare that to be God. So all along the way, we've got to be preparing them that no matter what hits you, God is number one. And I think at the end of the day, that's how we remain. Right. By, by actually believing what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. That's really good stuff. You also talked about um, reality versus virtual reality and, uh, and how Jesus didn't virtually rise from the dead, but he really rose from the dead. Right. And, and that, kind of tied that into the digital age. Yes. And that whole issue, I didn't get a chance to talk about that as much as I wanted to either, but sure. that was huge because all these things are substitutes. So like, you know, pornography on the internet, um, even like social media, these things are substitute connections, substituting intimacy, substituting, you know, screens versus skin. Yeah. And so um, 
because of that, there's this, and, and even now, I mean, there's the stuff they're doing with virtual reality is like amazing. The stuff that the images and the environments they can recreate, it is only going to more and more trick your senses into thinking that it's real. And you know what? I don't have a problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but when, but the problem comes when we choose the virtual in exchange for the real. That's what's crazy. So the point is, when Jesus rose from the dead, and see, the guys that want to say that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, they've been saying this since, you know, the beginning of time, but it emerged more in the 1950s with these crazies at Harvard and everything else. Well, we don't think Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead as an idea. What is that saying? He virtually rose. He didn't really rise. But the importance of a physical um, resurrection is that our problem is physical at its core. Our flesh is failed. And so our spirit can be reborn, but that's not the end of the story. We still have a body problem. And so to only think, you have to think, well, why did Jesus rise from the dead? Because he wanted to give us new life in every dimension, not just the spiritual, not just the mental, not just the ideological. So go up on a mountain and just kind of meditate, and that's supposed to have some kind of uh, transformative effect. No, my entire being has been raised to new life. And so I just right. as Jesus rose from the dead physically, I obey him physically. Physically. And that's really, I mean, one of the major problems in the New Testament that Paul's addressing mm-hmm. with like, do we, do we, oh, it's just spirit. Your body's not part of that. So right. you can just sin and do whatever you want. And that's really what, what the disciples, the apostles all died for. Mm-hmm. They didn't claim that he, they, it would have been really easy for them to claim that he spiritually rose from the dead. Right. So there's, right. there's no proof. You don't have to prove anything. Right. But they, they went and they died for claiming that he physically rose from the dead. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. If, if Christ right. has not been raised, uh, we are like the stupidest people <laughs> in the world <laughs> yeah. as Christians. Like you are the, this is the biggest waste of time. That's a Tim Jacobs translation. That's, that's, really that's yeah, yeah. the uh, N-T-J-V. Yeah. New Tim Jacobs version. That's really good. I've really enjoyed the series. And that was kind of the crux of the whole thing was the mm-hmm. virtual versus the real. And and really, we're, we're not saying the virtual is bad, right. but only when it completely replaces the real. You've got to be able to get to the point where you really, where you're hopefully choosing the real over the virtual. And you know what? I mean, look, can I have a real conversation with somebody, you know, over FaceTime? Yeah, I can yeah. have a real, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's these other things. Again, it's just a new landscape. Yeah. And just because the, the goal is, to, is so much to, over, to, to give us a sensory kind of experience that mimics the real so closely. And just, just always keep a constant awareness that God created us in three dimensions. Again, wants, it, wants us to, you know, when it comes to sex, give me, a, give me skin over screen. You know, give me the real thing in marriage as part of a relationship that is, that is bound together for life. Don't give me something that's just a, a simulation or an imitation of all that. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I feel the same way about butter. You know, it's got to be real butter, not imitation butter. And, you know, that that's yeah. that really is important. Yeah. Because margarine is terrible. It's terrible for you. You know, and people used to... <laughs> and it tastes terrible. Yeah. I mean, really, I, the articles I'm reading, eggs, butter, bacon, <laughs> that's what makes a human being a human being. Yeah. Anything else, just, you're just kind of turning yourself into some kind of weird hybrid vegetable. Unfortunately, for those who lived in the Old Testament days, um, <laughs> take that bacon. Yeah. Uh, let's move a little bit. I've really enjoyed this series. Big takeaways, I think, was was what we just kind of hit upon. You know, the 
the main point was we are disconnected because we're not sure how to navigate the land. It's not that the landscape's necessarily bad. Right. You just got to know how to navigate. You don't want to get lost and end up, you know, on the side of the mountain buried in 10 feet of snow. Right. Uh, so now we're moving into a new series and you're pretty excited about the series. We're going to be called, it's called Who Am I? Yeah. Now, what is, how are we moving into that and what's that going to look like? Really what this is about, and I am super excited about this. Um, right now, there's, there are so much going on in our culture that is coming from so many different areas that is challenging the very nature of who we are as people. Right. And it's doing it at, at collectively in the macro sense and then also in the micro sense. And th to answer the question, who am I, is one of the most deep philosophical questions. Some people say there's no answer. You say, who am I? And there's a lot of philosophers that say that's sure. the one unanswerable question. We have a pretty clear answer for it. Um, and, and yet the, the problem is, is that when we don't have a clear answer for this, it takes us in all these crazy directions. And so this is a really a series on identity. Yeah. And everybody wants to be a part of a group. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's groups that I identify with that I like being a part of. Um, you do as well. You know, the, the one armed kind of shoulder surgery. Sure. Uh, yeah. group that you guys have a lot of meetings once a month and yeah. you all eat with your right hand. Um, but it's those, those kinds of things are okay, but it comes down to right now what we're seeing in our culture is a crisis of, of like, who are we? Like what? And then of course, what are, where are we going? What are we doing here? Why are we here? But it really starts with who are we? Yeah. I, that's, that's the big question of philosophy, right? Every worldview, every philosophy has had to answer the question, origin, condition, purpose, you know, where do we come from? Uh, why are things the way they are? What's my meaning and purpose? You know, yeah. that, those sort of questions. And here, let me give you a couple of examples. Cause I don't want to be too vague. I also don't want to give too much away, but there's two things that really are, if you want to just observe in culture right now that are pretty shocking, when it comes to the question of human identity and where we get that from. Right. The first is obviously the whole transgender issue and how that's seeping into every corner of life from bathrooms at Target to public schools to states' rights issues now um, to, you know, um, uh, Jenner and that whole thing, right? And all of a sudden... What do you identify as? What yeah. do you... Yeah. I, I identify as this, even though I'm not this, I'm, I, I am biologically, all of a sudden my biology doesn't matter. My nature does not matter. And that's the message that's been, so that's, that's right. one part of it is the whole transgender thing. Cause people are asking, well, and, and there's, there's more and more people not only saying who am I as and myself, but how do we know? How do you know you're a woman? How do you know you're a man? Well, now it's just, well, I think I'm this. Right. And all of this traces back, by the way, to our conception of God, because our understanding of God drives our understanding of who we are and who we are drives the understanding of what we're here to do and what our, our, right. sense, our, our purpose is. A lot of people are committing suicide today. A lot of people are living with great depression. And a lot of it is because I, I somehow failed my purpose or I don't know my purpose or what am I doing here? They look at the world and they say there's no answers. So there and there's totally disconnected from God. So when we talk about who am I? We've got, there's two, like I said, there's two things. The first thing in, 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 uh, in um, the popular culture right now is the whole transgenderism thing. I'm not here to stand up and beat people over the head with this thing and make them feel terrible. Rather, our role as a church is to say, what is it that Christians think about this? What, is, what should a Christian, how does a Christian understand identity? So if there's all this identity crisis about sexuality and what I identify sure. as in culture. Let's provide an answer to people who come to Compass Church saying, 
Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about identity. Clear and simple. So whatever craziness might come down the pike, and by I mean craziness, I mean stuff that we five years ago just never thought we would hear. I mean, yeah. to basically hear people be shamed on the internet or in culture because you're like, I don't think a dude should use the woman's bathroom. And I think it kind of freaks me out because I have daughters. How dare you use your daughters, you know, as, as a tool to shame these people. Whoa, hold on a second. Like I'm not a spring chicken, you know, myself, but man, I, I would say that this is not something we've had to take some pretty huge quantum leaps. Yeah. So the first thing is the transgender issue. The second thing is this gorilla issue. And it's very, very interesting about this gorilla issue. And if you don't know the gorilla issue, just Google it. But basically, a little boy falls into a gorilla exhibit at the zoo. The zookeepers see that the boy's life is in danger. They shoot the gorilla. How does the culture respond? How dare you shoot the gorilla? How dare these parents be negligent? How dare we let we how dare we make a judgment to save the life of a human being? Over a gorilla. Over a gorilla who did nothing right. wrong. Now, the issue for me, because I think I think that you can have debate about, you know, should they have used tranquilizers? I don't know. I'm not a zoologist. I'm not a zookeeper. I watched the movie. It was pretty good. Mm. But watching zookeeper is not a good way to see how a zoo works because the animals talk. Yeah. So in any case. <laughs> That's a good, good point. I just know? thought I'd throw yeah. it in there. But it's great yeah. entertainment. But the, but the, but the whole debate is 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 centered on the the collective culture not knowing what to do when it sees the value of a human and an animal coming right. into conflict with each other because there is no implicit or pervasive dignity to, to humanity it, or or if there is it's not stated enough it's not on the conscious mind enough so that all you see is well this poor animal had to die now, is it a tragic thing that the gorilla had to get shot? Of yes. course it's a tragic yeah. thing. But rather than de de dealing with the issue of you know animals in captivity or the way that they set the whole enclosure up or all those kinds of things, the argument goes to, you guys killed the gorilla and, and, it, was, and it was the parent's fault that the baby fell in. So, whoa, hang on a second. So now we're saying that a human being who had, who had by the way, all this is hearsay, all this, you, none of you guys were there. Yeah. Okay. So you, so the parent was irresponsible, let their child fall into the water. It, they don't even know that that's true or not. It's just, that's what people are saying. So they didn't do anything morally evil. They didn't go to the zoo saying, we're going to kill the gorilla. They came to the zoo saying, well, let my kids see the gorilla. The little kid does what four-year-old kids do, falls into the enclosure or whatever you want to call it. And, and the, the, the people who are the experts said, if we don't kill this gorilla, the gorilla is going to kill the kid. That they, if they did not come to that conclusion, then there's no reason that they would have shot the gorilla. Right. No zookeeper wants to kill an animal, right? Yeah, it's their money. That's that's their that's, bread and butter. That's the, and then it's their passion. It's their yeah. life. It should be. So, so all of a sudden, now here's the key. When we see things like this happening, we have to ask ourselves, why does the culture react that way? And is it because there is at its core a a cloud a cloudiness or a confusion about the essential nature of that little boy in the enclosure as it differs from the essential nature of the gorilla. Right. And that's all. And so I think, I don't know if Dave's going to talk about that on Sunday. He may or may not, but, um, but, um, that as we kick into this series, these issues we're going to be talking about and dealing with, man, these are all 
core identity, who am I issues? And they're huge. So if you're, you're wondering, you know, like, how do I define, what does the Bible say about us and about me and about who I am? Mm -hmm. This is the series. This is what we're going to, we're going to basically point to God's definition of who we are. Yes. Because you should be able to see a story. Here's the goal. These kinds of things are going to keep happening because we have all these little micro stories that happen around the world and then they're made macro or, you know, on the public stage because of the camera phones and everything else. When a story like this comes out, you should be able to look at it and go, I know what was right to have happened in this situation. Why? Because you have a foundation with which to view these kinds of things. So there should not... So what I think what happened is this gorilla thing happened. People go, I don't have to think about that. I mean, shoot, you know, as a kid, but you probably shouldn't have got in there. And the parents are kind of stupid. And it is a nice, really looking, you know, cool gorilla. There's probably only like 25 of them in the world or whatever, whatever the case is. Whoa, hang on a second. We got a problem. So, so I should be able to look at these things and apply a grid, apply a foundation clarity to this thing. And if I don't have that, then what's going to happen is here's what's going to happen. The value of humanity is going to diminish even to the point now where there are people out there, um, and I've read stories of this, who, for example, will get themselves, um, uh, I don't say neutered, <laughs> that's what you do to a dog, but you will, uh, they'll have like, men will have vasectomies or whatever else, and hysterectomies, so that they won't have kids because they feel like that's harmful to the planet. And this is the kind of stuff that's coming down the pike. And it's not getting any less. It's moving forward. And it's really old paganism, worship of creation. And that's really, I think, where Dave's going to go. Romans 1, worship of creation over creator. creator. And that's where our our identity is tied to who we worship. And I want to make one more point. Exactly. That's really good. And the other point about this, too, is is that we're not, when we do these kinds of things, we don't sit there and go, we're not anti this or anti that or anti. We're like we are for a certain understanding of life. And we believe that what the Bible has to say answers every question. It doesn't answer every question like, a, like, a, like an owner's manual in a sense of like, go to page 55-2 right. and the answer for this problem you know, is here. No, it gives you a framework and a foundation for which to interpret every possible kind of scenario. And there may be some moral dilemmas out there. Sure, there are moral right. dilemmas. But at least you'll go, I know that I have the tools and the grid with which to evaluate stuff. And then I move forward from there. That's really good. Now, we need to close up here, but yep. I want to hit one more thing. Yeah. We've got our Global Leadership Summit coming up yes. uh, that we're hosting here at the church. I and mean, it's a big Willow Creek thing that's ha- happening in Chicago, but we're doing the simulcast here. And there's been a lot of questions, you know, what is it? So maybe you could give us a, a brief description of what it is and what it looks like. Yes. So some of the best leaders in the world, some of the best thinkers who think about leadership and write about leadership in the world, two days. Now, what people think, well, a lot of people will think, well, okay, A, I'm not a leader. Um, are you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you better be a leader, okay? Yeah. If you're a father, you better be a leader. Um, in every industry, you can be a leader, meaning you are an influencer. You are somebody who, by your actions, can make an impact and influence the lives of other people. There's not a single person alive who in that, in that category doesn't fall in that category. Right. So, what this is, is this is a two-day 
amazing experience to just get a drink from a fire hose on the best, most up-to-date stuff and then see how those things are making uh, um, changes in people's lives all around the world. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and what you're going to see, you're going to you're going to hear speakers, but what is it's more than anything else, it's like an experience. Right. Now, I admit, is it is it urgent that you go to this thing? No, it's not urgent, but it's important. And think about this. If, if I could tell you that for, um, and again, because we're discounting it for Compass members up until July 12th. Right. So you can go for like 89 bucks. What's $89? I mean, I spend $89 a week at Starbucks. No, that's not true. I don't know, it might be if it can be. <laughs> but I mean, it's not a lot of money when you think about the fact that the whole way that you think about a lot of what you're doing could change and it becomes right. a landmark. And, it, and that's what it's been for us. Yeah, we go every year. I mean, I, I love... We've, we've picked up several books from it. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, we, we listened to the Crucial Conversations guy. Yeah. Um, I remember last year they had the guy who was one of the top, I think he was the CEO of, uh, or he ran all the Ritz Carltons. The guy was amazing. He was amazing. He talked about what what customer service really is, and he really unpacked that in some really cool ways that I never that, thought about yeah, before. Yeah, and so something like that. So something like customer service. People that work in the customer service industry, do you realize that if you listen to some of that stuff and you put some of those things into practice, you could get a promotion. Yeah. You get more money. You get management training. This could actually improve your life to the point where you, you're seeing things. Because most people don't really read a whole lot of stuff. And most people, it's this is a perfect environment because you're in there and you're forced to kind of take it in passively. Right. And it'll make you think about it. But it really is a landmark. You know, it's a, it's been a landmark for us. Right. It's been a landmark for um, so many other people. And so I'd say, you know, call in sick, um, quit your job, um, you know, <laughs> don't show up. I'm, I'm joking. But but seriously, make every effort that you possibly can to come to this thing. I, I it, it is so worth it. And yeah. really, we're very blessed and honored to actually be one of the host sites. Of this you know, I, it's, pretty, it's top shelf. If it's I didn't work here... Uh, I would probably go to my boss and say, Hey, I want to go to this leadership. I want to be better at my job and just go to them and say, Hey, you want to come with me? And just, I'd, I'd spin at that angle and see if you can get some time to right. go. You never know. They might even foot the bill. Yeah, they might because, the, because a lot of these guys want to do, you know, well, what do we, how are we making our people better? Right. Because I mean, look at the end of the day, we want to produce more and we want to become, we want to stretch ourselves. And that's what this is about. And it's, uh, to me, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. Um, if I wasn't in ministry, I probably would be doing something in this area yeah. of, of leadership and everything else. That's just kind of how I'm wired. And I love this. And I, I wish that we had, you know, I've wanted to do something more along these lines. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's done for us. So bring your friends, bring everybody, bring your coworkers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bring your boss. I bring mine every year. Uh, it's a good time. But you can, I don't want you going this year. You need to stay. You need to practice your guitar more. Yeah, yeah. Fix that arm. Fix my arm. Well, thanks so much. Again, it's always fun to do the Green Room podcast. We look forward to it doing is. more. We're looking forward to the new series and Dave uh, starting it off for us this Sunday. It's going to be awesome. See okay. Bye bye. <laughs>